creatives, I'm going to be doing a reading from my new historical fiction book, The Rules Upheld by No One. I'm super excited to just to give you a little insight into this creation that I've made. This is the third time that I've tried to record this because I keep profoundly fucking it up. Um, but hopefully I can get through this reading without huge mistakes but it is going to be imperfect I'm not going to edit it at all I just wanted it to be a little uh, insight into this creation that I've made it's set in 1539 in England and we're following Elizabeth's story I'm so excited to see this book in your hands on your bookshelves I'm so grateful for your support uh, on this you know really profound and, and quite holy journey for me so I hope you enjoy it The Rules Upheld by No One by Amy McNee Part 1 Chapter 1 it feels like I've pissed myself, moaned Livia. Don't speak like that. The younger sister shouldn't have to reprimand the elder as often as I did, but I couldn't really blame her for the outburst. I could feel drops of sweat between my legs. Why must we sweat? And there of all places. It was ungodly. We will need to cut your hair before you go, Elizabeth. It's far too long. Agnes, my even elder sister, was walking just in front of me. Maybe they'll shave it for you when you get there, suggested Livia. I clutched my long red waves. No, my hair was staying. I was just weeks away from my removal to a nunnery, Laycock Abbey. Removal was not quite the right word. I had chosen to go. It suited mother and father financially, and it suited me spiritually. I was not destined for marriage like Agnes or Livia. I was for God. It had always been the plan, mother and father's plan, my plan and God's plan. There was an excited hubbub when we reached St Peter's. It was a modest church in Henley, a half-hour's carriage ride from home. It had dark stone walls and big stained glass windows. The only light that entered St Peter's was coloured. I felt a pain as I realised that, come autumn, I would farewell the windows painted bright red, purple, green and gold, the blue of the Virgin's cloak. There was a commotion around the entrance. Go in quickly, Eliza, my mother snapped, putting a firm hand at my back and pushing me towards the large arced doors. But there was no missing the cause of the excitement. I saw Joan, Mistress Wright, immediately. She stood to the right of the door. She wore a white sheet, just a white sheet. She held it as high as she could, but the material was thin and I could see her bosom. Will you forgive me, Lady Nolly? Joan choked a little as she spoke to my mother, but Mamma did not reply. Get in the church, Eliza, she hissed, shoving me in the back. Elizabeth, Joan addressed me by my first name. It was not appropriate. I was the daughter of Lord Nolly, who was a personal friend of King Henry. But I stopped, resisting my mother's shoves. This woman needed help. She reached for me. I took her hand. It was shaking. Forgive me, Eliza. Someone stop this, my mother screeched, snatching at me, grasping my shoulders and pushing me inside. What has she done? I craned my neck back to look at the desperate face. Where are her clothes? Why did you take her hand? Because she was asking for forgiveness. You will wash. My mother splashed both my hands in the font by the door, cleansing me from Joan's apparently contagious sins. She's a jade, whispered mother. I knew what that word meant. My father petted my mother on the back as we took our seats in the pews. I watched her closely as she regathered herself, her pursed lips and high chin returning to position. My sisters joined us a moment later. They were whispering. What has Joan done? I asked them. Do not tell her, Livia, Agnes hissed. Mother called her a jade. I was almost certain someone had made a mistake. Joan and John Wright were a godly couple, but Livia was nodding. I shrank back into my dress, my ribs finally unsticking from the front of my corset as I hunched my shoulders in. It is worse than this, 
Luria whispered. Worse, the smithy found her with three different men. My heart sped up. At the same time. No. She was speaking out the side of her mouth and the congregation were noisy and unsettled. I had heard her wrong. Livia! My mother and Agnes chided her simultaneously. Both were red in the face. From embarrassment or anger, I could not tell. I smelt the deep, woody incense and heard the gentle swinging of the thurible. Father Nicholas, looking sterner than normal, walked up beside us and took his place at the front. The fragrant air made it hard to inhale. I could hardly get one breath out in time to start the next. I stared up at the dark, vaulted roof and opened myself to the rhythm of the Latin. I let the Lord's words wash over me. They repelled bad thoughts. But the picture of Joan in her bedclothes with three other men was burnt into my mind. To my left, I could see my little brother Edmund clambering over my parents' feet to get to me. He squeezed himself in between Livia and me, slipping a small and sweaty hand into my own. It was not a pleasant feeling, but I tolerated it. He reminded me of being young, innocent, when I could not have conceived the demonic actions my sisters had related to me, when nothing like that could distract me from God. Eliza, he hissed. I went to reprimand him, but he was bent on talking. Samuel told me that when they found Joan, she was sitting in front of the fire, knitting. I squeezed his hand, begging him to stop, shaking my head desperately. In just an apron! There was a tittering of prayers and exclamations from around us. Do not speak like that, Eddie, I hissed. I looked around for Samuel, his tutor, but he would be at the back of the church. Why in God's name would he have told him that? The priest spoke louder, his brow furrowed further. This would be my life soon. Matins, lords, prime, ter, sex, to none. I would be spending my life swimming in biblical texts. It was so hot in here. Perhaps it would be cooler in the nunnery. I wondered whether Joan was still outside or if she had been allowed to come within to hear the sermon. It would be so hot out there, so exposed on the street. People would be staring. I began praying, asking for forgiveness begging for the thoughts of Joan to be wiped from my mind. But three men, at once, what did they even do? Please, Jesus, please, I do not want to tarnish my mind with such sinful thoughts. Put to death your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Father Nicholas's voice echoed loudly. I crossed my legs. The wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God. I thought of Joan's face. She was so sad, so desperate to be forgiven. But then I thought of her sins. Perhaps she had a demon within her. The priest should consider that. It might not be her fault. Maybe a snake or a beast or Satan himself had forced her to do the unspeakable things. I turned to look at Mama. Her eyes were shut and she was shaking her head. She was disgusted by it all. Disgusted. Just like I was. But if I was so disgusted by it, then why was I dwelling upon it so? Half my man mind was on the mass, but the other half was filling with questions. Why would she do that? Had John been one of the men? Did Joan like it? Who were the other men? Why weren't the men in trouble? Then the question of how started taking over. From my understanding of marital relations, which admittedly was rather limited, and that shouldn't be possible. Three men. One lady. I sat Addie on my lap, bouncing him lightly on my knee. Joan had once helped Eddie after he had taken a tumble a few years ago now, perhaps in my fifteenth year, when Eddie was only five or six. He had fallen badly, running away from his tutor. He had tripped down the road from church. Joan saw what had happened before I did. She was so gentle with him. She had wiped away his tears, hugged him, brushed off the dirt. 
There was no brushing off her dirt now. Communion came. Thank God, thank God. Perhaps after eating the body of Christ, the thoughts of Joan would go away. Not that it was the body of Christ anymore, I reminded myself. Merely a symbol, so says the king. I took the symbolic wafer from the priest. He looked down at me sternly. He knew what I was thinking. For the rest of the sermon, I focused on my favourite passage. It was from Isaiah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Perhaps someone should remind Joan of this passage. Should I remind her? After the sermon, Father Nicholas approached my father and mother. This was nothing out of the ordinary. I stood behind them quietly, holding tightly onto my brother's squirming hand in case he escape and hide up the bell tower for the third time this month. There was a lot of shaking of heads and disappointed mumbling. I saw the priest point upwards. He was indicating a gargoyle on top of one of the stone columns. I'd seen her before. It was a carving of a woman, glowing in red light, with wild hair that looked not unlike mine before it had been tamed by my maid. She was naked and tugging violently at her breast. A snake writhed between her legs. Women's desire is unsatiable. Put it out, it bursts into flames. Give it plenty and it is again in need. Nicholas shook his head, his dark eyes not moving from the base depiction of woman. It was an unbecoming speech in front of my mother, a woman of considerable stature and importance in England, but Mamma merely nodded. The priest's eyes swivelled sideways to look at me. Happy virgins who know not torment. It is a good thing, Lady Elizabeth, that you are soon to enter the safety of the nunnery, protected from yourself. I bowed my head reverently. What will happen to Mistress Wright? I asked quietly. Despair is the only cure for lust, my lady, so we shall pray that a darkness settles upon her and cleans away her sins. I nodded. Mother hurried me past Joan on the way out, but I still saw her. Her long hair sat lank against her chest. She was crying, and I could smell her sweat. Our carriage had been sent for. No one felt like walking home again. Everyone was quiet, but I could tell that Livia had a hundred things to say. "'You will not talk or think about Mistress Wright again,' Mother said suddenly. Her jaw was clamped tight, and she was looking directly at me. Then she spoke to Agnes. "'You will not speak of it near Elizabeth.' Her mind must be grounded in the laws of our Lord, and you will not dirty her before she goes to the nunnery. My sisters nodded. I beat the dust of the road off my skirt, angry. What about Edmund? Why aren't you telling him not to think about it? Men are not as susceptible to these stories. My father didn't look at me as he spoke. Edmund was halfway out the window, like a dog. What a load of rubbish. Eddie would be talking about Joan for weeks. Eddie not susceptible. It was absurd. I'm not susceptible. I'm about to be a nun. They had all but partaken in bed sports, or would. I would never, never ever. I was the pure one. I was happy to reach home. I jumped out of the carriage before the steps had been put down. Grey's court stood above me, huge, magnificent, but familiar. Its mottled red and cream brick and its peaked roofs could always calm my nerves. But I didn't go inside with the others. I didn't want to be near my mother. Instead, I went into the walled gardens and sat down on a seat. I was vexed. I hated feeling like I was a child. I was a daughter of God. I was 18 years old and I had chosen to devote my life and my body to our Lord. But I hadn't really chosen it. I was the youngest daughter and whether mother and father wanted to admit it or not, there was only a meagre dowry left for me. My father took a leaf out of his majesty's book 
They both liked to spend. My parents and sisters were adorned in the latest styles, the most expensive colours and cloth. Gray's Court had servants aplenty, and each room was filled with the latest fashioned furniture and tapestries, dressed like Henry might be popping in for tea. Even little Eddie was dressed to impress. Our family's fortune, my dowry, had been spent, or was being spent, on keeping up with the Tudors, keeping up with court. It was important to keep up appearances when one is as important as my father is, but appearances, it seemed, cost more than what we owned and earned. Free-flowing pounds and pennies were a thing of the past. I fingered the pearls on my headbands. They were glass in clever disguise. I took a deep breath. The smell of fresh grass, country air and roses calmed me. I am righteous and untouchable. God has chosen me. I am pure. I watched a robin nesting in a thick old wisteria root crawling up the wall. He hopped from branch to branch. The vines were beautiful, even in the late summer without their purple flower. Joan was beautiful too. She had very dark, shiny hair. It could have been hard to, it couldn't have been hard to attract the attention of several different men. Eliza! I jumped. Eddie came tearing around the wall, his knees somehow already dirtied with mud. Eliza, mother said that I'm to be with you until Samuel comes home. Eddie's tutor walked home from church with the servants and the rest of the household. It was not a short walk. I sighed, summoning the energy for my little brother. Mother said we're having mutton for dinner. He pulled a disgusted face, clambering onto my lap. I looked down at the black mark on my white dress and bit my lip. I could already hear my mother's admonitions. Thankfully, it did not take Samuel very long to return. I had been helping Eddie climb up an old oak, and he was only halfway up when a rather windswept and very sweaty Samuel appeared. Lady Eliza, I ran. I can see that. I liked Samuel. He was lithe, with a crooked smile, though he gave it out sparingly. He was casual about everything, but always listened intently. Nothing was fussed over, but he consistently respected everyone's feelings, even Eddie's. I thought he bent over, trying to catch his breath. His white shirt stuck to him. I could see his skin. I averted my graze. I thought, with the happening stay, that, that, he took a few more breaths and swept his dirty blonde hair out of his eyes, that Eddie perchance would give too much trouble, talking about Mistress Wright's travails. It was you who divulged the matter to him, I said disapprovingly. The whole affair didn't seem so disgusting talking about it with Samuel. He spoke about it so easily, as though the drama at church today had been a stray cat interrupting communion, not a respectable woman of society begging for forgiveness and nothing but a sheet. I didn't mean to tell him. He heard me telling the ladies' maids. He pulled a face. Why were you telling the ladies' maids? They asked me, he shrugged. Get me down, Sam, Eddie yelled, now just a few feet off the ground. I'm here. Eddie pushed himself off the tree, and Samuel caught him. "'Don't talk to Eliza about Mistress Joan Wright and the three pricks,' he said hurriedly. "'Edmund,' I snapped. "'What? You're not allowed to hear it. You're a nun.' "'Listen,' Samuel got down to Eddie's level. "'Your sister Elizabeth is far older and worldlier than you. "'She is more than able to hear these stories and still be bound to God as his loyal servant.' Eddie opened his mouth to protest, but Samuel did not allow him to speak. You are going inside now. It is time to practice your music. Eddie groaned, but did as he instructed, stomping back to the house, kicking the odd stone to remind everyone of his bad mood. Samuel shook his head. Much good do it to you. He smiled and inclined his head. It was a commoner's farewell, betraying his status. Much good do it to you, Samuel, I replied, despite myself.
and that's chapter one. I hope that gives you just a little, a little insight into this creation that I've made. It is a story about shame, about guilt, about owning our own desires, our own wants, our own sexuality and sexual needs. Um, it is, you know, so much of my story and the journey that I've been moving through. And I'm so excited to share a bit more of that as we go through this beautiful launch period of this book. If you um, have bought this book, if you received this book, like this is you know, an amazing way to support me. If you could give me a review on Goodreads, like this is how you support authors, particularly indie authors. I would be, you know, so grateful. Uh, your actions have a real reverberation and impact on me when it comes to this book. Um, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for witnessing me and thank you for listening to this this book. There is going to be an audible version. I'm recording it next week, um, which I'm nervous but excited about. Um, so if you're more of an audio listener, you can wait till that comes out. It shouldn't be too much longer after the the hard copy release. I love you all so much. Again, thank you for witnessing me. Thank you for seeing me. <sighs> and I'll speak to you soon.